CNN. Radio. This is CNN Profiles, where we get to meet people who have the experience and insight to impact our understanding of the world. Now, look, I did not want to have a better understanding of psychopaths when this whole project started until I saw the title of our guest book. It's called The Wisdom of Psychopaths, What Saints, Spies, and Serial Killers Can Teach Us About Success. Now, success I'm interested in. What Psychopaths Can Teach Us About Success. That got me. Our author, professor of psychology at the Kaleva Center for Research into Evolution and Human Science at Oxford University, is Kevin Dutton. Kevin, welcome to CNN Profiles. Hi, Michael. Good to be here. Kevin, your father was a psychopath. We're going to get into that a little later. But first of all, you we've never met each other, right? That's correct. This is the first time we're speaking. It is indeed. I want you to try to determine through your questioning whether I am potentially a psychopath. Go ahead. Well, you know, it's uh, there. I mean, there are um, uh, various uh, techniques of, um, of of actually de- discerning whether whether people are, are psychopaths. What we usually do, we have. Um, you know, um, you know what to do. Give me. A, I know there's a lengthy questionnaire, but just to get a sense, because you know, I, I'm talking to you. I at least want the benefit. I want to come out of this interview knowing if I have psychopathic tendencies, because okay, I've never because well, I've never thought about it. Okay. Well, uh, what I could do is I could give you um, eleven. Questions. I mean, which are quite uh, kind of simple questions, and there is in fact a scale uh, which you first have to uh, to write down. So, if you just want to write down this scoring scale, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you out eleven uh, statements, and your task is to basically rate these eleven statements on that zero to three scale according to how well you think they describe you. Okay, you got it. Go uh, I'll, I'll score it. You score it, okay. I'll score it, because you can trust me. I can trust you, although a good psychopath would say that, Michael. But okay, that's, <laughs> we can't tell anything from that. Okay, here we go. Uh, statement number one. I rarely plan ahead. I'm a spur-of-the-moment kind of person. So zero strongly agree, uh, uh, one disagree, two I, agree. I would, have to, I, would, I would have to say agree. Uh, two agree is two, yep, okay. Okay. Uh, number two, number two, okay, this is a good one. This cheating on your partner is okay as long as you don't get caught strongly disagree okay strongly disagree zero okay number number three if something better comes along it's okay to cancel a long-standing appointment strongly disagree okay zero for that one so professor dutton took me through the 11 question abbreviated psychopath test we'll abbreviate it a little more enough for you to get the idea um okay number six it doesn't matter to me if I have to step on others to get what I want. I strongly disagree. Although I would have stepped on anybody at CNN to get this interview with you. But aside from <laughs> that, I strongly oh, flattery. disagree. Flattery. There's another, whoa, there's another psychopathic characteristic. But actually, uh, at the moment, A little note as we skip towards the end. You can take this questionnaire yourself on this story's link at CNN.com slash Soundwaves. Give the test to a significant other. It's a great conversation starter on a first date. Number nine, Michael. I find it easy to keep it together when others are cracking under pressure. I think I do, but I'm not absolutely (laughs) sure. (laughs) And finally, you can tally up your own score. And I have, I can quickly tally this up. Top them up. Two, four, uh, two, four, six, eight, nine. Ten is my total score. 
10 is your total score. Okay, well, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read you out the little scoring uh, key. Uh, for this test, and remember, we're not diagnosing anything here. We're just, uh, we're ju it's just like a little fun thing to give you an idea, an indication of uh, where you might, you might be on the psychopathic spectrum. Okay, zero to eleven, which is where you slot in, Michael. Low. Okay, so I can pretty much guarantee that um, that you're not a psychopath, my friend. Okay, you're in the low bracket. Okay, zero and I and I notice, and I notice you said. Pretty much guarantee, and that's, you know, I think people in the academic fields are always a little cautious. So, oh, yeah. So it's pretty much guarantee I'm in the low scale. So I've That's got... right. Because as I say, this is, not, this is not a clinical diagnostic tool. This is just a general indication, okay? So I'm... 12 to 17, the next bracket up, below average. So if any of the listeners score between 12 and 17, below average. 18 to 22, average. 23 to 28, we've got high and 29 to 33, very high, okay? So that's the scoring brackets here. Uh, but as I say, it's, um, you know, it, this is just a very, very general indication. You can't really generalize on the basis of 11 questions. All right, so now let me ask you, you know, we, we, we've gone through those 11 questions. Boil it down. The, the, the trademark qualities of a psychopath are what? You know, it's true, isn't it, Michael? Whenever you hear the word psychopath, images of, of Ted Bundy or Jeffrey Dahmer come creeping across, uh, across the badlands of our minds. But actually, when psychologists like myself, when we talk about psychopaths, we're actually referring to a group of people with a very, very discreet and very uh, nuanced personality style. And the personality factors involved in psychopathy are uh, ruthlessness, fearlessness, charm, charisma, uh, mental toughness, focus, coolness under pressure, and, uh, and that uh, trademark lack of empathy and conscience. Now, notice, Michael, I didn't there mention violence in any shape or form. And also, I didn't, know, uh, didn't mention intelligence. Now, a lot of people, especially when the media get hold of the word psychopath, they they automatically think violence is part and parcel of that personality description. It isn't at all, actually. So violence is something completely different. It's on a, a completely different neural freeway, one which sometimes has an interchange with psychopathy, but which just as often passes overhead. Now, let me give you a little example of what I mean. Imagine you've got those psychopathic characteristics that I was just telling you about, and you also happen to be violent by nature, and you also happen to be low in intelligence. Well, your prospects, my friend, to be perfectly honest, uh, aren't exactly great. You're going to end up uh, smashing a bottle over someone's head in a bar or something even more uh, gravely serious than that. Either way, you're going to end up in prison pretty quickly. However, if you've got those psychopathic personalities I was telling you about and you're not naturally violent and you are also rather intelligent and you've gone to a good school, got a good education, then you're more likely as the uh, famous Reuters headline once put it, going to make a killing in the market than anywhere else. So the core psychopathic characteristics are, as I said, those things like uh, ruthlessness, fearlessness, mental toughness, etc., etc. Now, now let me just say, aside from three of those characteristics, ruthlessness yeah. uh, and lack of empathy and conscience, I mean, those are clearly bad things. Some of those other things, I can see those could lead to very successful outcomes. Those could those could uh, lead to people who you would want in positions of responsibility. So tell me about some of the people you've met who have gotten into very important positions of responsibility who have the whole package. 
Well, that's it's very interesting you should mention that actually, Michael, because one of the things which I which I point out in the book and, and one of the central messages which is very important to get across is that actually psychopathy is on a spectrum. And that's one of the reasons that I wrote the book. It's, it's to debunk the myth that actually it's a black or white thing. You're either a psychopath or you're not. It's an all or nothing affair. Psychopathy, I argue, uh, is on a spectrum. Now, I use a nice analogy to get that across. And with that analogy, I can answer your question for you. Imagine that those core psychopathic traits that I was telling you about just there um, are like the dials on a studio mixing desk. They're like the sliders on a graphic equalizer. Now, if you turn all of those uh, dials and sliders up to max and have that as your default setting, then you're going to overload the circuit. You're going to wind up getting 30 years inside or whatever. However, if you turn some of them up high and some of them down low, depending on the circumstances, become, as it were, what you might call a method psychopath, as a, you know, rather like a method actor, then you might well have the personality combination uh, which can predispose you to great success in, in various fields of endeavors in various professions. So now, let, me get, let me get very specific here, because you talk about uh, a gentleman who, with whom you spoke. Uh, you call him a leading brain surgeon in Britain. Oh, yeah. And he has, is he a, f- a full-fledged psychopath or somebody with psychopathic tendencies? Tell, tell us about him. Yeah, this guy, um, he's a, a neurosurgeon who I interviewed in London, a very experienced neurosurgeon. He was very high on some of those dials. Now, th- this is the point, actually, that if you cannot turn those dials back down, if you th- what I'm talking about here is kind of, I suppose you could say, localized psychopathy. So if you have some of these dials up uh, pretty high, then they can predispose you to success in various contexts, in various professions. Now, surgery is one of those professions. Now, uh, this actual neurosurgeon you know, told me quite candidly, that, uh, you know, he likened his profession and, and what happens in the operating theatre, uh, especially with, with, uh, with neurosurgery, to actually a sniper in the army. So he says, you know, when you're in the situation where you're operating, you know, uh, you know in, in, on, on very difficult and dangerous operations, uh, the very first thing that you have to be able to do, you have to be very cool under pressure. Now, if I can quote from your book, this neurosurgeon told you, quote, I have no compassion... Compassion is a key key ingredient there of a psychopath. I have no compassion yep. for those whom I operate on. In the theater, I am a cold, heartless machine, totally at one with scalpel, drill, and saw. Emotion is entropy and seriously bad for business. I've hunted it down to extinction over the years. Now, uh, he might be a great guy in the surgery room, but I don't think I want him operating on me. How did he become a leading surgeon with those with those characteristics. <laughs> well, it's a great quote, isn't it, actually, Michael? And, and also, I mean, surgery is, is, is a pretty tough profession. I mean, you need to be pretty um, assertive, pretty confident to actually even make it as a surgeon. You have to compete with your, with your fellow would-be surgeons for operating time, uh, for, uh, you know, it's very, very competitive. So, you know, if you think about the qualities that you need to be a surgeon, you do need to be pretty calm. You need to be pretty mentally focused, mentally tough. Uh, there is a certain degree of a lack of empathy and compassion there. Although you are in a compassionate profession, you have to kind of turn that off a little bit in the operating theatre. You can't identify too much with the people that you're operating on. Otherwise, you you possibly would lose that kind of decisive edge. Now, just to add a unique CNN dimension to this, just a few hours uh, before we started this conversation, I spoke to uh, our Dr. Sanjay Gupta, who's our senior medical correspondent. He's also a practicing neurosurgeon. And I told him about this doctor, 
and he listened to it, and he said, look, in the operating room, there is a mechanical art. You have to have a coolness. However, he said, in most cases, except for trauma cases, the vast majority of time a surgeon spends is not in the operating room. It's in meetings with family. It's in explaining the procedure. It's in the judgment to decide in the first place, what should be operated on and what should not be operated on. And then it's, of course, several days after the operation. It's pain management, which requires empathy. So I just, again, wonder, I mean, this surgeon you spoke with, where is he on that psychopathy scale? Well, that's very true what you say, actually, Mark, and it's very true what you're, what the gentleman you're quoting said. Uh, you know, a lot of the time you do have to, um, you know, spend time with families and you do have to explain the situations to them. I mean, I wouldn't say this guy was a, pati- a particularly cold individual, but I think also at the same time when you're dealing with families, you have to be honest with them. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you can't beat around the bush. You have to be succinct and you have to give sometimes very painful truths to families. Now, of course, you know, if you are too empathic, if you are overly empathic, that can sometimes lead you into trouble and that can sometimes lead to miscommunication in situations like that. So again, I would say, you know, that there, you, you do have to, even though that you are acting in a, in a compassionate way, in a compassionate profession, you do have to remain a little bit emotionally detached, um, but not in a cold way, in, in a kind of a scientific way. So I think actually, you know, I, I think um, Dr. Gutter was quite correct in what he was saying, but I don't think that you can be, you know, emotional detachment, as I said, is in a matter of degree. There's a difference between being cold uh, and there's a difference between being scientific and truthful. Well, indeed, and Dr. Gupta did did say that in the operating room, he is not thinking about the fact that his patient has two children or what the last thing his patient said to him before he was rolled into the operating room. So that is true. You're listening to CNN Profiles, and we are talking with author Kevin Dutton, who is a psychologist at Oxford University, has just written the book, The Wisdom of Psychopaths. Uh, Kevin, you say your father was a psychopath. Tell me what that was like and, and when you realized it and how you concluded it. <laughs> well, you know, Michael, it is true. I mean, it seems, I, I have to say hand on heart, looking back on it, it, uh, it does seem a crazy thing to say when you say that, you know, your father was a psychopath. But there's absolutely no question in my mind whatsoever. He wasn't violent. He was never violent. Uh, but, of course, uh, he, was, he was a market trader, not in the stock markets, in the uh, street markets um, in London. Um, he used to sell all sorts of things. And, uh, but, you know, one of, the, one of the crucial things which I mention in the book is, as, as we just covered earlier, that you don't need, necessarily need to be violent uh, to be a psychopath. My dad was pretty ruthless. Um, he was pretty fearless. Uh, he was shameless. I never once saw him embarrassed or any kind of shame whatsoever. I mean, this guy was was pretty amazing. I mean, he could have he, he really was one of the most persuasive guys I've ever met. He, he could have sold shaving cream to the Taliban, this guy. I mean, he was he really was. He was absolutely shameless. And I'll give you an example. I always tell a story um, to, which kind of sums him up, uh, which kind of uh, really gets his essence. I remember once when I was about I must have been about nine or ten, uh, and uh, we uh, we had been to an Indian restaurant uh, in London, and uh, just as my uh, dad was about to pay the bill, he suddenly got up uh, to his feet, tinkled his spoon against his glass, uh, and the whole restaurant went quiet. And he then made a, a an impromptu speech, and he 
He stood up and he said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'd just like to thank you all uh, very much for coming. Um, I know that uh, some of you have come from just round the corner and some of you have come from, um, from much further afield. Um, however, I would like to say that you're all equally welcome. Oh, and by the way, uh, just across the road, there's a pub called the King's Arms and there'll be a little drinks reception in there and it would be great to see you in there. And with that, uh, he started clapping as, of course, did the entire restaurant. So now what we've got, Michael, we've got an entire restaurant of strangers who've never seen each other before, who've never seen us before, all applauding wildly because they, of course, didn't want to be seen as the gate crashers to the party. So as we're walking out, uh, I remember saying to my dad, we, I mean, Dad, we're not, we're not really going to the pub, are we? And he said, no, son, of course we're not. He says, but that lot are. And my friend Malcolm has just taken over as landlord. He'll make a few quid tonight. <laughs> and we just kind of walked on our way. Now, that is the kind of, uh, of, of personality. I think the technical term, Michael, if your listeners don't mind, is balls. Um, that you need to get up and do that kind of thing. I could pay you a thousand bucks, I reckon, and you wouldn't get up and do that. Uh, but to my dad, it was just absolutely water of a duck's back. He would do it without without batting an eye. And, and, and you know that kind of personality, that kind of you know you know d- devil may care attitude, not really caring about the consequences, just you know thinking in the moment kind of thing, absolutely epitomised him. And uh, you know, of course, I didn't actually test my dad. I didn't diagnose him. You know, he he um, he actually uh, passed away uh, long before I I became qualified as a, as a psychologist. But um, but you know, looking back on it with the benefit of hindsight, he would have scored very very high. He would have been very high along that spectrum. And yet, on one level, that story there's a certain charm there. I mean, I know I had a twinkle in my eye, and our producer. Chip Grabo, looking through the window at me, had a twinkle in his eye when we were listening <laughs> to that story. You know, it sounds like nobody really got hurt there, right? That's absolutely right. And one of the things that you find about psychopaths, Michael, not all of them, not all of them, but uh, one of the things uh, that you do find about psychopaths, especially when you meet them early on, is that they are very charming. They are very charismatic. Uh, and because they don't have any kind of, I would say, moral breaks on them, uh, they they kind of they, they're very positive. They have a kind of a uh, an attitude. They infuse you with a kind of an attitude that anything's possible. Whereas whereas kind of most of us, uh, you know, have these kinds of um, these hang-ups about life. You know, we come up with various reasons not to do things. To a psychopath, the the, the kind of the default is well, why the hell not? Why not do something? Um, so there is a there is a great charm. There is a great charisma. There is a great positivity. A great energy vibe about psychopaths, especially when you meet them for the first time. And a lot of people who encounter psychopaths, uh, and sadly who eventually fall victims to them, do actually report this. Um, but my dad, as I say, he was he was very high on a number of those dials on the graphic equaliser. He was shameless, he was fearless, he was mentally tough, etc. Um, and But he was, again, he was actually, you know, I wouldn't say, he certainly, uh, I wouldn't say he was a bad dad. Uh, you know, I look back with actually rather fond memories on him, but um, but that's the same with uh, with many people who get involved with psychopaths. You know, I'm not alone there. What was, was in some respects your mother a victim, though, of his psychopathy? Well, they did split up. Uh, my mum's dad just split up when I was nine years old, and um, so there were various goings on there, which um, which weren't too uh, too salubrious. But uh, so I suppose yes, she was actually, you know. And uh, as I say, you know, it's hardly surprising that there is a downside to these things. But um, yeah, my dad, my father was a bit of a ladies' man, put it that way, and he was very good at it too. Actually, the ladies loved him, as uh, for, as you could probably gather.
A reminder, you're listening to CNN Profiles. Our guest this week is research psychologist Kevin Dutton from Oxford University. He has written a new book called The Wisdom of Psychopaths. In terms of your own character development, I mean, all of us, I'm a parent of of three young children. You know, we all believe that parents' uh, modeling plays a big role in their children's character development. And yet, presumably, it sounds like you grew up with hopefully a strong set of ethics. Where did you get that from? Well, you know, Michael, it's um, it's lucky genes aren't everything, isn't it, really? Because otherwise I probably would have turned out rather like my dad. I think I got the ethics from my mother, actually. My mother was a very strong disciplinarian. She was um, an Irish Catholic. Um, and so she was infused with sort of as much uh, uh, much of a conscience as, uh, as anybody. Uh, and so I think that, um, you know, in, in a sense, uh, I got the best of both worlds, actually. I mean, if you were to ask me whether I'm a psychopath myself or where I am along that spectrum, I would say that, you know, I've got some of those dials turned up pretty high. I'm pretty fearless and not much really, uh, really phases me. Um, but um, I, I, I'm kind of let down in a sense. Uh, my, my psychopath credentials are let down by the fact that um, I am pretty empathic. And, uh, and also notice I said pretty empathic there. That didn't sound very convincing, did it? <laughs> but I do have to, my conscience lets me down. I do have a conscience. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of guided and saved by that in a way. But, but, but I guess the takeaway here is in terms of ethics, if life were a poker game, Irish Catholic trumps psychopaths. If life were a poker game, would Irish Catholic trump psychopath in the kind of poker hand uh, hierarchy of personality? Of emotional development. In emotional development. Um, ah, do you know what? It's a difficult one because I think, again, if we come to that kind of, um, it, that kind of mixing desk analogy, and this isn't a cop-out, but I, I think there's a more nuanced answer to this, actually, Michael. I don't think when we, when we talk about life, I mean, there are many different kinds of lives. Life in general is very difficult to actually generalise about. As I say, there are various uh, kind of professions where... Uh, a psychopathic personality or, or, you know, certain psychopathic traits do help you. I mean, I'll give you an example. A recent study looking at the personality profiles of so-called uh, hero populations, uh, those who work in, in law enforcement, the military and the rescue services, for instance, uh, does show that uh, various dials on that mixing desk, in particular fearlessness, social dominance and stress immunity, coolness under pressure, they are turned up higher in those guys and members of the general population. Whereas antisocial narcissism and impulsivity dials, which are also traits of psychopathy, they're turned down contrastingly low. So I think when we're talking, I think it's difficult to make generalizations about success in life in general. I think we can, uh, what I can only talk about is success in various professions. Now, having said that though, I will give you um, uh, one crucial bit of information. And that is that one of those dials that we haven't really talked about yet on the mixing desk uh, is crucial. And there's evidence to suggest that this one particular dial um, does make the difference between people who are functional or successful psychopaths and those who are dysfunctional and unsuccessful, i.e. criminal psychopaths. And that dial is impulsivity. If you have the impulsivity dial turned up high, in other words, if you can't delay gratification for any length of time, if you can't work long term towards a goal, 
then if that dial is turned up high, then that seems to be the one that is instrumental in tipping you over from being a dysfunctional, uh, from being a functional rather, to a dysfunctional psychopath. Well, well, that's so interesting because in the field of child development, and I can't remember where it was, but there was a major study on that, on the ch- children who could delay gratification. They would come into the room, the candy was there, those who could that's wait. That's correct, yep. Turned out to be more successful. So I guess this this is this applies to every aspect of life and every type of person. That's correct. Well, I think the study, uh, very briefly for your listeners, the study in question was um, was uh, kids were were given the choice of uh, of whether to uh, whether they could have one candy bar now uh, or two later, um, and the, the kids that uh, that chose the two later. Um, there's evidence to suggest that they, they were more kind of successful in life as life went on. So, yeah, that, that absolutely is right. The, the, the ability By, by, to by the way, they had more weight problems, but they were more successful. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's probably true. That's probably true. Um, but um, I think, yeah, absolutely evidence to suggest that, you know, the ability to put on hold, um, you know, uh, uh, your, your immediate gratification and sacrificing that for a longer term gain uh, does predispose people to success. And there is that there, impulsivity is one of the dials on the psychopath mixing desk, which, you know, can be turned up very high. And if, if that dial is turned up high, uh, then you've gone, then you're going to have problems. Then you're going to tip over from from functional to dysfunctional. So, so just a few final questions here. Why did you even go into this field? Why did you specialize in this? Was there a second choice that was something totally different? Uh, well, I, I, I wrote my first book, actually, uh, which was on persuasion. Um, and I spent some time with some of the world's top con artists. And uh, it dawned on me very quickly that these guys uh, were extremely charismatic, were extremely uh, persuasive and smooth, but that they had absolutely no empathy whatsoever. They would, you know, screw people over for absolutely no reason at all. And I wrote in my first book, there was a chapter uh, called Natural Born Persuaders, in which I I mentioned how psychopaths were like kings of, uh, of, of manipulation. Uh, and basically, a lot of people uh, said that actually there's enough in this for a, for a book in itself. You should expand it. And if psychopaths are really good at uh, persuasion, what else might they be good at? And um, my dad was always knocking around in the back of my mind as well, Michael. You know, it was always, I always wanted to figure out who he was. So, you know, finally, uh, finally laying to rest the ghost of my old man, I suppose. Well, on that, a final personal question. Uh, you, are, you are married, correct? I am married, and yeah. you've been married for how long? I've been married just coming up 13 years. 13 years. Were you, were you studying in this field when you met your wife? Uh, I was, actually. I met my wife at university. She was, uh, she was at a university, so uh, I did indeed. Her, funnily enough, her, um, her area of expertise is complete opposite. She's, a, she's a, an expert in anxiety disorders, so, uh, of which psychopaths, um, you know, there's evidence to suggest that they are completely at the other end of the scale. They, you've got uh, very, very nervous and anxious people at one end and psychopaths completely without fear on the other. So uh, we are, we are <laughs> poles apart. And I guess on, on that note, the, the, the total lack of anxiety in psychopaths, would any psychopath acknowledge or recognize that he is a psychopath? Because, because people with high anxiety certainly recognize that and will go in for medicine from your wife. 
Yeah, I, no, absolutely. I think that what you do get, one of the things that psychopaths uh, do tend to lack, actually, Michael, they do tend to, to lack, I think, in depth, a, a real in-depth insight into, into their own failings. I mean, they might use the word quite glibly. You know, people say I'm a psychopath, people describe me as a psychopath, and they, they know kind of cognitively, they know uh, rationally what that kind of term means. But in terms of their own personality failings, they don't really perceive them as failings. They perceive it as failings in, um, in other people. So, you know, what you, what you often find with psychopaths is that they say, you know, if they've, if they've conned someone or hurt someone, then that person deserved it. You know, it wasn't to do with them. Hence one of the questions that we, we had earlier on the test, if you're able to con someone, that's their problem. Uh, they deserve it. You know, that's a very psychopathic way of thinking. So, so, you've, um, so, so, so listen, you've written about con artists. You've written about psychopaths. Your wife deals with people who really need this compassion and people with high sure. anxiety. Has she talked about your next book? What would she like you to write for your next do you book? Know, do you know, funnily enough, she has actually, Michael. <laughs> that's a, that's a, quite a coincidence you mentioned that because um, my wife, actually, I've been writing this damn book for two years now. And actually, my wife herself has commented that, Kevin, she says, I think, you know, you've gone a little bit further along that spectrum than you were when you first started off. Uh, so she actually said to me, look, you know, I don't care what the next book is, but it's got to be something lighter. You can't write another book on psychopaths or anything like that. So I've decided, I think quite probably, uh, that my next book will be about love. Um, and I've got a pretty good idea of what I'm going to write about that. But hopefully at the end of that two years, Michael, my, my personality should have normalized and I should have been, I should be, uh, the love and the psychopath should cancel each other out and I should be back where I was before I started. <laughs> Kevin, we're rooting for you. Kevin Dutton, thank you for joining us on CNN Profiles. Kevin, the author of The Wisdom of Psychopaths, What Saints, Spies, and Serial Killers Can Teach Us About Success. Thank you. Been an absolute pleasure, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Remember, you can listen to CNN Profiles on CNN.com Soundwaves or on the apps SoundCloud or Stitcher. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes. Just one request. If you like us, share us. That's CNN Profiles. Mm-hmm.